Well, good morning. Once again, I want to welcome all of you to the Central Church of Christ. It's so great to see everybody here this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, this is your first time tuning in online. Don't get a false perception. I am not the main minister. Uh, Slate is out of town, and the elders let me preach sometimes so that way you truly appreciate Slate and his messages. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and be turning to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is going to be where we're camping out for a little bit this morning. We're going to begin reading from there in just a few moments. Um, this Sunday is actually a very special Sunday. I neglected to mention this earlier, but this is actually our senior Sunday. Today we're going to be celebrating all of those who graduated this year. So afterwards in the fellowship hall, we're going to have food, videos, some very emotional um, videos, as well as some speeches for the kids. Tissues will not be provided. Um, but you are all more than welcome to come over there and celebrate that with them. Um, in honor of our graduating seniors, this morning we are going to be talking about procrastination and why it is so important to live in the moment and not wait for life to give us second chances. How many of you, if you're completely honest with yourself, how many of you would label yourself as a procrastinator? How many of you are procrastinating to put your hand up? Okay, all right, I got a couple extra. Okay, that's fine. Um, I mean, we all do it. We all procrastinate. We wait until the line is past empty to be able to fill up on gas. We wait until the grass is above our ankles to cut it. We wait until 11.59 to submit our homework. Um, we go grocery shopping when we're hungry, which is never a good idea. Everything looks good whenever you're hungry. Um, so we all do it. There's, there's actually this, this really funny story about a young man in college who was known for his procrastination. Um, we're going to call him Cody. Now, seniors, this is very important. I want you guys to, to pay attention to this story. Um, now, Cody would always wait until the last minute to be able to submit his assignments. Now, this isn't uncommon for college students. In fact, most college students wait until the last minute to submit their assignments. But Cody was a little bit differently. He, he, a little bit different. He took it to the next level. He considered himself a professional procrastinator, okay? <clears throat> so at the beginning of the year, everyone is given a syllabus, right? So you basically have this outline of how the semester is going to go. And you've got all of your uh, tests, all of your exams, all of your assignments, all written out for you. The most important ones are in bold. And it's got the date beside it, when it's supposed to be turned in, and what materials and resources that you're going to need to be able to complete this. Well, Cody, he had a book report due about four weeks into the semester. Now, of course, four weeks is a very long time. And so he decides that he's going to put off this big book report that he has due. So a couple weeks go by, and of course, every single week, the professor continues to remind everyone in the class, there's a big book report coming up. Don't wait until the last second. It's going to be too much for you. But Cody doesn't listen. He decides to wait around. And flash forward, it's the day before the book report is due. Now, you would think that maybe this is the time where Cody's going to crack down, and he's going to borrow a book from one of his friends, because of course, he hasn't ordered it yet. And so he's going to borrow a book from his friends so that way he can crack down, read the book, write the assignment, and turn it in, right? No, he is a professional procrastinator. He likes to do things a little bit differently. So instead of writing the book report, he decides to go and meet with his professor. So he goes and he meets with his professor, and he convinces his professor to extend the due date, not only for him, but for the entire class for two weeks. So Cody slept well that night knowing that he's going home a class hero, and he's going to start on that book report first thing in the morning. Cody did not start working on that book report first thing in the morning. He procrastinated a little bit more. We'll flash forward. It is, once again, the day before the book report is due. 
He still doesn't do the book report. He decides to chance his his luck. He goes back to the professor. And he tries to convince him to extend the due date yet again. The funny part is it actually worked. He basically explained to him without lying that his book hadn't come in yet, which it had never been ordered. But the professor didn't need to know that. But the book report was due, and he was trying to come up with anything that he possibly could to be able to get this due date extension. So he convinces the professor a second time to extend the due date. But this time, he gets an entire month for him and the class. A month is a really long time. So you would think that he would have used this time valuably, that he would have learned from his first two (laughs) instances, and he would have ordered the book and then read it and then written the report, right? He did not. He did not learn from his mistakes. So, a month is a really long time. He continues to procrastinate. The month comes and goes, and it's the day before the book report is due again. He knows he can't go to the professor. He's already given him two chances. He's two months in advance from where he was supposed to have submitted this report. So, um, he knows that he's in trouble, and he's got to crack down. But, like I said, he's a professional procrastinator, and the report isn't due at midnight like you might think. It's actually due at 10 o'clock in the morning when class starts. So, he decides, we'll just get a good night's rest and we'll wake up early in the morning. We'll set an alarm for six o'clock in the morning and then we'll get up and then we'll write our book report on the book that I've never even read before. And Cody, he sets his alarm for 6 a.m. 6 a.m. comes and goes. 7 a.m. comes and goes. 8 a.m. comes and goes. Now Cody's in real trouble. So he's frantically searching online trying to find something for free and he can't find it. He finds a sample of chapter one and he finds pictures of chapter 12 and he writes an eight page book report on those two samples and then he sprints to class and he prints them off and he turns them in with two minutes to spare. Now I don't know about you guys but that story really stressed me out. Um, Fun fact, that was actually me. Uh, Cody is my middle name. And I got an 89 on that paper, and I'm very proud of that. But this is one of those do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do type situations, okay? Because procrastination is not a good thing at all. In fact, we learn in several passages throughout Psalm otherwise. So, okay, there we go. Uh, Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us how short that our lives are, so that we may be wise. Another verse, Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not brag about tomorrow. You don't know what may happen then. And then also, thank you, James chapter 4, verse 14. But you do not know what will happen tomorrow because your life is like a mist. You can see it for a short time, but then it goes away. Now, our lives are extremely valuable, but they aren't for very long. Now, although we may procrastinate when it comes to laundry and dishes and grocery shopping and homework, we cannot procrastinate when it comes to our salvation with Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to be looking at three different instances where people had the choice to either act immediately or wait until a time that was convenient for themselves. And we're going to look at the outcomes of these choices. The first group that we're going to look at is found in Matthew chapter 4. Now, remember, I'm not as nice as Slate is, so I don't put the long scriptures on the PowerPoint. So you're going to have to do a little bit of effort in order to follow along. Um, Don't forget that. Appreciate him. So we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, change your hearts and change your lives, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And as Jesus was walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were throwing a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. 
So Simon and Andrew immediately left their nets and they followed him. As Jesus continued walking by Lake Galilee, he saw two other brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus told them to come with them. And what's it say? Immediately, they left their boat, their father, and they followed Jesus. Now, this is the kind of willingness that Christ is looking for in all of us. When Christ calls us into action, we need to go immediately. Why, as Christians, do we procrastinate so much? When God asks us to do something, we typically get back to him within two to three business days. Now, notice that there is absolutely no hesitation from them there. Peter and Andrew, they drop their nets. They're in the middle of their job. They drop their nets, they leave their boats, they quit their jobs, and they follow Jesus. And then we see the sons of Zebedee, James and John, do the exact same thing. They drop their nets and they leave behind both their boat and their father. Now, if Christ called you to leave your job right now, would you do it? I'm sure some of the teenagers upstairs, yeah, I see, I see a couple people upstairs saying, yep, absolutely. Um, if God called you to leave your home, would you do it? If he called you to leave your family and your friends behind and go to a place that he would show you, would you be willing to go? We like to think that our answer would be an absolute yes, that we would be the ones that would immediately jump into action without any hesitation. But unfortunately, it's not always like that. We like to pretend that we would be the David and we would stand in front of Goliath and we would be willing to face him. We like to believe that we wouldn't bow down to the idol and we would be the ones cast into the fiery furnace. We like to believe that we would be the ones caught praying when it became illegal and we would be thrown into the lion's den. But Unfortunately, our actions don't always line up with our thoughts, and sometimes we miss our opportunity. And we like for things to be done according to our timing. So more than likely, we would fall into the category with the next group of people who missed their opportunity. Luke chapter 9 gives us an account of several other could-have-been disciples. Um, if you want to, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to discuss those right, real quickly. Um, Jesus calls many more people than 12. He actually calls a lot, but there's only those select few that chose to give everything up and to follow him. Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 9 and starting in verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you any place that you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes to live in and the birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to rest his head. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But he said, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the people who are dead bury their own dead. You must go and tell others about the kingdom of God. And yet another man said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, anyone who begins to plow a field but keeps looking back is of no use in the kingdom of God. Now, all of these men could have easily been apostles. They could have followed Jesus in his ministry. They could have learned from the greatest teacher to ever walk the earth, and they could have been truly blessed by it. But instead, they had other priorities. Now, their, their thoughts went exactly to where all of ours would go, if we're completely honest with ourselves. One wanted to know where they would be staying for the night, which is kind of important if you're leaving with a strange man and a whole bunch of his friends, right? But he misses his opportunity when he finds out that they're not going to be staying in some five-star resort. But in fact, none of them even have homes anymore. And the next one asks to go and bury his father. Now, if you're reading for this, this for the first time, um, 
<laughs> Jesus' response may surprise you. You may think that he was coming off a little bit rude when he says, let the dead bury their own dead. So it's important for you to know that this may not have actually been the case. His father may not have actually been dead. He may not even have been old. He may not even have been sick. Instead, he's asking him permission to wait until his father dies in order to follow him. Once again, he, we want it according to our timing, not according to God's timing. And then the final man, he asks to go and tell his family goodbye. Now, this seems like a very simple request, but this is one that Christ does not grant. And yet another opportunity was missed. So all of these people, they had their conditions in order to follow Christ. They wanted to receive something first in order to follow him, and they all missed out on their opportunity. Now, these men may have gotten lucky. They may have decided later on in life um, that they wanted to turn their life around, give it completely to Christ, and be able to follow him. But there are others that we're going to look at now who waited until the last second. I went backwards. I have no idea how to work this thing. Um, there we go. All right. In Luke chapter 23, uh, Jesus has been sentenced to be crucified. Now, crucifixion was, of course, the absolute worst form of capital punishment that could be given to any human being. Uh, it was cruel. It was painful. Uh, the suffering could last for days at a time. It was reserved for the worst of criminals, the worst people, the, um, the liars, the cheaters, the thieves, the murderers. That's who it was reserved for. And that's where Christ went. When Jesus was being crucified, people were insulting him. They were spitting on him. They were calling him names. They were casting lots for his clothing. And these insults aren't just coming from the Romans who are crucifying him, but of course these are coming from his own people as well. Now Jesus was hung between two thieves. He had a criminal on either side of him. And yet one of these thieves starts shouting insults at Jesus. So let's go ahead and go to Luke chapter 23, and let's begin reading in verse 39. It says, And one of the criminals on the cross began to shout insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? So then save yourself and us as well. Now, there are a couple of things that I find interesting just about this one verse. I'm going to stop for just a second. Um, first of all, the thief is in the exact same position as Jesus, right? I mean, they're both being crucified. This thief has nails in his hands. He has nails in his feet. He's gasping for breath, pushing up, and yet he finds the energy to be able to insult Jesus. Isn't it amazing how we can look down upon others without examining the position that we're in ourselves. The second thing that I find interesting about this is that after he insults Jesus, he actually asks him to save him. He says, if you really are the Messiah, then come down from the cross and save yourself. Oh, and hey, by, by the way, while you're at it, if you really are the Messiah, would you mind saving me too? Because we're in the same predicament here. I find that very interesting. But the, the other thief, he decides to take a different approach. And we find that in verse 40. It says... But the other criminal, he stopped him and he said, you should fear God because you are getting the same punishment that he is. We are being punished justly, getting what we deserve for what we did. But this man has done absolutely nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into heaven. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, these two thieves are in the exact same position. And yet one of them chooses to join the crowd and insult Jesus, but the other decides to stop him and defend Jesus. He reminds the thief that they are in the same position, that they are getting what they deserve, but yet Jesus is an innocent man. And then, of course, he asks Jesus to remember him when he enters into heaven, and Christ tells him that they will be together in paradise. 
Now, both of these thieves are getting their rightful punishment. They're getting the punishment that, honestly, we all deserve as well. We deserve to die the same way as those criminals did, but they handled their situation completely differently. The unrepentant thief, he didn't seem to care that he was dying because he wasn't the butt of the joke anymore. They hated Christ more than they hated him, so he joined in as well. But the other saw an opportunity for change, and he took it, and he didn't hesitate. He didn't wait. He took it immediately. Both of those thieves could have been in heaven with Jesus that day. But the unrepentant thief blew his chance when he came face to face with the Son of God. The final example that I'm going to share with you this morning is found in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And while you guys are turning there, I'd just like to give you a couple honorable mentions uh, to this format this morning. Like, we, like I mentioned before, Jesus called several other people um, that weren't in the original twelve. He called another man in Matthew chapter 19. Now, this man was very wise. He was very wealthy. And he comes to Jesus and he poses him a question. And he says, what do I have to do in order to obtain eternal life? And, of course, Jesus tells him, well, follow the commandments. And the rich man says, well, I've followed those ever since I was a child. And so Jesus challenges him. He says, if you want to be perfect, then sell everything you have. Get rid of it all. Give it away to the poor and come and follow me. And, of course, the rich man walks away sorrowful because he wasn't willing to part with his possessions. He could have done what all of the other apostles chose to do. He could have left behind everything that he had, and he could have followed Jesus and become the 13th apostle. But instead, he chose his money over the Messiah. Now, on the opposite end, another honorable mention is found in 1 Kings chapter 19 by the name of Elisha. Now, I'm sure you guys all know of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was the mentor for Elisha. Um, Elijah was a well-known prophet, and before his time to leave the earth came, he was looking for someone to continue on his legacy. And so he finds this person in Elisha. He needs someone to be able to tell others about the will of God and about the coming Christ. So Elisha's calling is actually different than any of the other people that we see called throughout Scripture. He wasn't summoned with words or hand signals or um, even a vision. Instead, Elijah simply comes up to him while he's plowing in a field. And he places his coat around his shoulders. And that's it. That's all it took. Now, Elisha, he didn't just turn and follow Elijah. He took an extra step, which is absolutely incredible, and I want to make mention of it this morning. Um, he was plowing a field, like I said. He kills his oxen, and he feeds the oxen to the people of the area. And then he turns, and he burns his plows. So that way he has nothing to go back to. And then he turns and he follows Elijah. This extra step that he took is so powerful. All of those who followed Christ gave up everything in order to follow him. But Elisha, he destroyed his past self. So that way he would have nothing to go back to and he could fully serve his master. Now that's a huge leap of faith. But in our next example, we see a man who isn't even willing to give a few crumbs from his table. Um, real quickly, let's look at Luke chapter 16. Uh, here we see two more characters living polar opposite lifestyles. Um, and when their lives come to an end, they receive two different eternal destinations. Let's go ahead and read this whole passage and then um, we'll come back and, and unpack it. Let's start reading in verse 19. Uh, then Jesus said, There was a rich man who was always dressed in the finest clothes, and he lived in luxury every single day. And the poor man, named Lazarus, 
whose body was covered with sores, he lay at the rich man's gate. He wanted to eat only small pieces of the food that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs would come, and they would lick his sores. And later Lazarus died, and the angels carried him to the arms of Abraham. The rich man died too, and he was buried in the place of the dead, but he was in much pain. The rich man saw Abraham from far away, and he saw Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and to cool my tongue, because I am suffering in this fire. But Abraham said, Child, remember when you were alive, you had the good things in life, but bad things happened to Lazarus, and so now he is comforted here, and you are the one who is suffering. Besides, there is this big pit between you and I. And no one can cross over to you, and no one can leave and come here. The rich man said, Father, then please send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers, and Lazarus should warn them so that they will not come to this place of pain. But Abraham said, They have the law of Moses, and they have the, written, the writings of the prophets. Let them learn from them. The rich man said, No, Father Abraham, if someone goes from the dead, then they will believe, and they will change their hearts, and they will change their lives. But Abraham said to him, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, then they will not listen to someone who comes back from the dead. Now, in this story that Jesus tells, we see that an eternal difference is made with an earthly difference. The poor man, Lazarus, has absolutely nothing. He has no home. He has no money. He has no food. And his only friends are the dogs that come and lick his sores. And then on the opposite end, um, we have the rich man who has absolutely everything that he could ever want. And yet he's not willing to share it with the man who is laying at his gate. The rich man obviously knows that he exists because he calls out to him by name. Um, he asks for him to come and to just put a little drop of water on his tongue because he's so thirsty. And I'm sure that this is a cry that Lazarus uttered from his mouth every single day. And yet he was never answered. Ultimately, Lazarus receives his eternal resting place in heaven. And the rich man receives torment. In hell. And it's only then that he realizes the gravity of his actions. And the rich man thinks of his brothers who are still living, and he asks for Lazarus to be able to go to them, but their time has come for both of them, and their time is over. He wasted his entire life on things of this world, but he missed out on what truly mattered. We try to make heaven sound so unachievable by making sure that everybody has to do everything perfect. We try to minimize our sin by elevating other people's sin, right? Like, oh, well, you know, my sin's bad, but it's not as bad as so-and-so's. But Christ says in Matthew chapter 25 that those who are going to enter the kingdom of heaven are the people who are the hands and the feet of Christ every single day. The people that are going to see Jesus in heaven are those who give food to the hungry, who give water to those who are thirsty, who go and visit the people in prison, and who give clothes to those who have none. We have an amazing opportunity here in the Winter Haven area to live out this calling. I have, I've never seen so many homeless people before in my entire life. So I challenge you this week to do something for someone. Maybe it's one of them. Maybe it's a friend or a coworker. But I challenge you to do something for one of them. Now, I'm not, invite, I'm not asking you to invite any homeless people into your, into your house or into your vehicle or anything like that. Um, I can see from some of your faces that you guys are upset at me because you think I'm asking you to, to give them money and you know that they might use that money to buy drugs. But I'm, I'm not asking you to do that at all. Um, in fact, Christ didn't say anything about money on that list. He says food, water, visitation, and clothing. 
You could buy a pack of water bottles and drive around the area and just hand one out to everybody that you see. I guarantee you, you'll see enough people to be done within a half hour. But it's not enough just to be the hands and the feet of Christ. We also have to be the mouth of Christ as well. Tell them about Jesus. Tell your friends and your family about Jesus. Don't waste another opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ with others. And don't wait too long to get your, right, your life right with him either. This week I encourage you, talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Invite your coworker to church. Don't wait for the stars to align. I invite you to put on Christ in baptism this morning. We still aren't offering a, a regular invitation, but please don't let that be your excuse for not getting your life right with God. Pull me or one of the elders aside this morning uh, after services. If there's anyone here who wants to learn more about Jesus or wants to learn more about what he has done for you and how you can receive forgiveness of your sins, I would be more than happy to meet with you, and I'm sure that anyone else would as well. Um, we also have this cross still standing here. It's been here for a couple of weeks. If you feel like you need an action to your thought process and to your words, come up this morning, write something down, nail it to the cross. Christ is calling out to you this morning. He's telling you to leave all of your cares, all of your worries behind. The question is, will you answer the call or will you wait until it's too late? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so humbled to be able to come before your throne this morning. We are so thankful to be able to gather together to worship and glorify you. But Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning or if there is someone who is watching online who is struggling right now, I just pray that you will put your healing hand upon them. I pray that you will let them know that they are loved and that they are loved by you. I pray that you will give us wisdom and that you will give us the courage to be able to stand up for what's right. I pray that you will give us the strength to be your hands, your feet, and your mouth this week. Help us to be able to tell everyone about you on this earth. Help us to encourage each other and not to tear one another down. Father, help us not to procrastinate when it comes to our salvation. You've You've given us this one life on earth, and I just pray that we will not waste it. Help us to reach out to others, to tell everyone about you and about your son. Father, we're just so thankful for Jesus that you were willing to send him to take our place on that cross at Calvary. We're just so thankful for that. Uh, forgive us whenever we fall and help us strive each and every day to be more like you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.